You're listening to Back to the Light with J.D. Rieger. Hey everybody, welcome to yet another episode of Back to the Light. I am your host, J.D. Rieger. Memphis Friends tickets are on sale now for my last and biggest show of the year, the Back to the Light not-too-late-night talk show, Holiday Spectacular. It's a night of Tonight Show-esque fun with me as the host, plus extra special guests Steve Selvage from The Hold Steady, Mark Edgar Stewart, Bailey Bigger, Josh Shaw from Black Hippie, chef comedian Josh McLean, pro wrestler Trace Lee Hunt, and house band Jason Pulley. Wow! <laughs> so stupid. It all goes down Thursday, December 8th at the Green Room in Crosstown Arts. Tickets and info at crosstownarts.org. This week on the podcast, we're heading over to the Halloween Midtown Con at Black Lodge in Memphis, where we recorded a few conversations back in October. First up, we have author and musician Russ Thompson, followed by author, musician, fellow podcaster on the network, and now a new business owner, as you'll hear, Marvin Stockwell. Let's get into it. All right, Russ, good to see you, man. Thanks, yeah. So you're here promoting a few books that you have written, and... I want to hear about those books, but I also want to hear about the process because I'm very familiar with the process of putting out independent records. Right. Not right. so much the process of trying to put out a book. Right. Yeah. Well, the first time that I uh, put out a book, it was a collection of short stories, and I did that through Book Baby. So I cheated it a little bit in that they help you with a lot of the formatting and stuff as long as you've got the right format of the pictures that you want for the cover and back cover and all that sort of thing. So they, they make it pretty easy to self-publish when you do one of those deals. Um, but there are some drawbacks to it. Like we were talking about reordering books can be expensive with them and stuff. But then the, uh, the next two I put out were with a publisher, uh, Winter Wolf Press. They're out of Las Vegas. And I used to do some uh, ghost writing jobs for them and beta reading, you know, where you read through books and say, this is, a, this is good, we got to put this out. And uh, so they said, if you ever have a manuscript, go ahead and, you know, submit it and we'll try to put it out, you know. So I did. That's what I did with The Loop Breaker, which is uh, like a mystery, spooky mystery novel. Like a YA fiction kind of a thing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a series and hopefully the second one will come out next year. That's awesome. And you've also got a new children's book. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, called The Owls of Sedgemile, and it's it's basically about these owls trying to save their forest. It's it's rhymy, you know. It's it could be anywhere from age six or seven all the way up to ninety nine, pretty much. I mean, it's anybody could enjoy it. Anybody who grew up with like those kind of environmentally minded books, like the Lorax and stuff like that, you know. So yeah, and uh, what's exciting about that too is an old student of mine did the illustrations. Like she used to be in my math class. And before math class started, she'd always be drawing in her sketchbook, like really incredible, like illustrations, just with a, you know, with a pen. 
And uh, so one day I said, you know, I'm going to get you to do some pictures for this story I have. And she was like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever, Mr. T. Like, she didn't take it seriously. <laughs> and then, you know, when I was ready to put it out and thinking about an illustrator, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to contact her and her mom and see if they want to do it. And they did it. And they did a great job, you know, just really good job with the illustrations. So it was an exciting project. That's cool. How, yeah. how much, like, I mean, I don't even, like, how do you approach... Like you said, you got in, in with this publisher through ghostwriting. So is it yeah. just like a freelance writing gig yeah, that started yeah. it? Yeah, I got on uh, this site. It doesn't exist anymore. It was called Elance. And it was like a freelance site that'll hook you up with jobs and gigs, you know. And there's a lot of ghostwriting jobs out there. And at first I was like, eh, that's kind of weird, you know, like helping somebody write a story and your name isn't going to be on it. And But some of the ones that paid well and were fun to do it was just it was a fun exercise and i learned a lot about writing and story craft and things like that doing that that's very interesting i often hear that comedians get hired to punch up scripts after they've already been written but it's never credited in any way right yeah it seems like it's kind of the same thing it is yeah definitely and another thing that'll really like ring you out and make you learn a lot about the process is is the editing because when we did the loop breaker we went through literally five editors so you can imagine going over like a 180 page book five times with five different people with different points of view about it. It was, oh, but it made it a better story. Obviously that process just kind of chiseled away and made it, you know, better than it would have been without the input. How much of your time do you spend writing and developing a, you know, roughly 200 page book? Well, it, it starts pretty quick because a lot of the uh, outline of the story kind of comes to me and then I just kind of jot it all down pretty quickly and then I sort of use that and sort of slowly move through the story based on that kind of outline that's usually how I do it and uh, so the the initial outline and kind of idea is pretty quick but the rest of it is slower like it takes time it took me about a year to write the loop breaker like and go through the editing and everything too so took a while how is promoting a new book different from say because like i know when i put out a record i've got the music writer at the flyer i send it to yeah i throw a a record release show right like it's a very clear step one step two kind of a deal yeah like how do you promote a book yeah you do a book signing and uh try to do other events and you know i'm here doing this event which helps uh as well to promote it and we did a book signing at uh, 901 toys uh Harry's, uh, my good friend Harry's shop, and uh, that was great. It was a good, good flow of people coming in. Um, so yeah, it's it's much the same kind of thing. You know, it's sort of like having a record release show. You have a book signing thing. Is it harder to get media coverage for something like that? Yeah, you know, it can be. I did get some media coverage for the Loop Breaker, um, and I have gotten a little bit of stuff for the owls but it can be difficult you know here's one more baby uh, <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah that i really appreciate it but yeah no i'm, I'm just kidding <laughs> but i'm also not really good at like selling myself enough i need to do more of that you know some people have no problem with it and for me i'm just kind of i'm more reserved so i don't want to force myself on people yeah you know it's a it's a fine line i'm trying yeah, I'm still a work in progress, but I'm getting there. I'm, I'm, right. I'm working towards being totally shameless. Right. Well, that's. I mean, you know, you're not going to get anywhere being quiet about your work. You know. Yeah, you know. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. Man. Right. You can expect people to just pay attention to you while you're standing in the corner. You know. So. <laughs> well, speaking of standing in the corner, I know you're yeah. also a drummer. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you play with my friend Jack. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But I know you do some other stuff, too. You played with uh, Thousand Lights, is that yeah, right? Yeah, Thousand Lights and The Margins. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which are getting ready to try to get back together next month. So, oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. First time in, like, over a year or two, so it's been a while. Um, so we'll have to just see how much of the old songs we remember first, you know. You and the yeah. Jack Band doing anything? No, we haven't done anything in a while. We, Eric, when was the last time we did something? Do you remember? Eric's just shrugging It for, was for those at home. It was a lot of months, yeah. Six or seven months ago, maybe. It was a long time ago. Yeah. So I don't know. If he if he wants to continue to play, I'm all I'm all in, you know. I, we had fun playing, so. Yeah, man. He's a great songwriter. Absolutely, yeah. I love his stuff. So, yeah, in A Thousand Lights, we were supposed to play. I don't want to start talking smack about Off and stuff, but we were supposed to play this show with uh, opening for Off, and then the local bands kind of got taken off the bill, and Off put their label bands on the bill, and little, little, you know. Was Pez supposed to be on that show, too? Yeah, Pez was supposed to Low Psychosis, Us, and uh, Lipstick Stains. Man, that was going to be a cool show. Yeah, it was I a mean, lot not of, that it's not going to be now, but I mean, I would have... Well, it's, I it's not going to be at all now. It's canceled, apparently. Oh, the whole show is yeah. off? It's off? It's off. The oh, whole show is off. <laughs> yeah. But no, I'm not trying to, you know, spread bitterness or anything, but it's just, that was, a, that was the last thing that a Thousand Lights was supposed to do. Yeah, that was the point. <laughs> Well, that's interesting. I guess I know that's that's why Marv didn't mention that show when we spoke earlier. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not happening. Right. Absolutely. It's off. That's <laughs> perfect. Perfect way to describe it. Well, Russ, best of luck with the books. And, yeah, thanks. And thanks. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, thanks for talking to me and having me. So I appreciate it. Sure. All right, Marv, uh, we just hung out yesterday at the Coliseum a little bit. I yeah. had to leave early to go hang out at the record store, but mm-hmm. I know you kept giving tours uh, yeah. through the morning. How did it go, man? Man, it went great. I mean, we've given, you know, at this point, closing in on 130 of these VIP tours for potential investors, structural experts, other influencers, you know, all trying to build momentum for uh, reopening the Coliseum. And really, in a way, yesterday's tour was no different than all the other tours we've given uh, in the sheer joy and energy and kind of wide-eyed wonder at being inside the Mid-South Coliseum. But of course it was different uh, in the fact that it was the first tour in a new setting. Uh, the uh, The city has announced a plan that includes, uh, it's a multifaceted plan, but uh, the thing central to us is it calls for the demolition of the Coliseum. Yeah, and I think that's a pretty well, that's a pretty well-known plan at this point. Yeah, yeah, it's out. It's out in the news. In fact, I've already been out in the news myself, responding to it. Uh, and our uh, they our dug board, up the king. That they, they, <laughs> they really did. Um, and 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 you know, it's interesting. Uh, Jerry Lawler has been incredibly helpful to the Coliseum Coalition over the years. Uh, he and 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 uh, and Bill Dundee wrestled those Cretans, the the Coliseum Crushers, uh, and they were so generous in in, in donating their time uh, for that cause and. You know, I went back and watched the King's uh, speech from the ring in 2015, where he really poured his heart out about uh, the Coliseum and how great the cause was, how much he supported it. I can totally understand that he is tired uh, of waiting, like I think all of Memphis is. Uh, You know, I I hate that he seems to have have, have given up, although I'm watching what he says on Twitter, and I feel like he's, he's certainly of mixed emotions. On the subject, I, I I don't think the king is entirely given up, quite frankly. Well, that's interesting to note, but yeah. In any case, you guys haven't given up. 
No. Um, as a matter of fact, our position uh, is that the Coliseum Coalition is just co continuing to work. Uh, the the city has walked back a bunch of it, the parts of the plan for uh, Liberty Park, the fairgrounds, uh, what they're calling now Liberty Park. So uh, we feel duty bound to just kind of continue doing the work that we have been doing and essentially work in parallel uh, because we don't know that the mayor's plan is going to go through. He's asked for close to seven hundred million dollars from 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 the state, and it's going to be a couple of months before we know whether he gets it or gets it in full. Yeah, that's a big ask. That's a huge ask. So it's not a matter of uh, and, and make no mistakes. We have been at the table with the city, uh, and we appreciate the the latitude that they have given us. We those hundred and twenty plus VIP tours could not have happened without the permission of the city. So we appreciate that. We've done two cleanups with the with the uh, with the city and clean Memphis. So it's not that they have been an unhelpful partner. Uh, so and we're we have meetings with the city next week. So. Um, so we are continuing to our dialogue with the city. Uh, we have not stepped away. Uh, we are not fighting the city. Uh, we are collaborating with the city. That said, you know, of course it's dispiriting to know that the city clearly was baking a secret plan you know, for the last eight or nine months. That's deflating. You know, I'd be lying if, if it weren't. But uh, we plan to keep working in parallel uh, because we don't know the, whether the mayor's plan is going to go forward. And we're, we're going to keep working to find other ideas. And there are credible ideas. Uh, and we've been doing pre-development work for the last year. So I'd hate to see all that work go to waste. And the city is taking us seriously. They are hearing us out on that. So that's all we can ask for. Yeah, it just seems like there's so many other options. Yeah. You know, my friend Christopher Reyes has a really ambitious idea for the Coliseum, the Baron Von Opperbein uh, virtual reality and augmented reality kind of Amazatron 8 million and I'm experience. all for that, but I'm all for all the other things that have been discussed, whether it's hall, you know, sports hall of fame, wrestling hall of fame, youth sports, concerts, you know, under whatever number it needs to be under. Yeah. It seems like it could be a great multi-use building still with you yeah. know a cool historical backstory. 100% eSports e is an idea that's that's floating out there. You know, I've, I've always thought, and this wasn't even my idea, uh, the Memphis Hustle should play there. I, I think actually the Grizzlies organization would add a lot to their bottom line in ticket sales if the Hustle played there. But again... I might actually go to a game. Exactly. Like, I've never been to a Hustle game uh, down in South Haven uh, just because I'm a Memphian. I, I go to Memphis places. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of dumb, I guess, but... I think oh, that's man. just, that's I know, just the way a, Memphians are. As a music promoter, I know how hard it is to get Midtown to go to East Memphis and East Memphis to go to Midtown and everything. So yeah. asking people to go to South Haven, it's a it's a it's a no win. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So uh, I think that you you bring up an excellent point. There are a host of uses, and actually, the one thing that I've learned from this pre-development work over the last year is that a lot of those good ideas can work together, right? Like when you look, like the first tour we ever gave, I, I saw how much square footage is inside the Coliseum and you realize how much potential there is there. Now, now that we've done this work with a consultant to really map out those uses, you realize a lot of those uses, put the, put the wrestling hall of fame in there, put an Elvis museum, there, put a restaurant in there. It could host these type of events. It could host you know, is that that fixed uses could round out the event uses in a way that, in a way that takes its lessons from Crosstown Concourse, which is just a stone's throw from, way, from where we're sitting here at Black Lodge, and that is 
what what is the diversified portfolio of use types that make it revenue positive right i think we can find those answers well marvin i know you've got other things going as well and not unrelated is your project i mean you've got champions of the lost cause the book the the podcast Mm -hmm. and then now you've also got sort of an offshoot of that yeah. which is your PR and communications uh, firm. Is that what you would call it? Yeah, I, I like to call it a publicity practice, but it's essentially it's a PR, you know, solo firm. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm a PR pro by trade, and I, I recently have uh, hung a shingle, as they say, and launched Champion the Cause. Uh, championthecause.org is my website. And yes, it, it's a kind of related brand, I guess you'd say, to Champions of the Lost Causes. Champions of the Lost Causes is all about why do people champion causes, what sustains them, and what helps them succeed. I've had you on the podcast. I've had Todd Richardson on the podcast. I've had Rashoon Austin. I've had all these people who champion one cause or another uh, on the podcast to say, gosh, what causes are they championing? How are they doing it? And how, how have they persisted and succeeded? And I compare and contrast that to my own Coliseum cause, and and, 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 and and thankfully, we're, we're, we have a home on the Back to the Light podcast network, your network. <clears throat> so that's what I've been doing as kind of an advocate. But so the only difference is I've always been a champion of causes. It's just a matter of now I'm going to direct my publicity practice to uh, serve at the behest of a host of causes. You're a man who's traditionally, you know, you've worked for bigger nonprofit organizations, St. Yeah. Jude, Church Health. Yeah. Maybe something else. I'm not you know, WKNO. Yeah. Are you a little bit nervous to go out on your own? You know, I was at first, you know, like, especially in that contemplative phase where I was imagining doing it. Uh, uh, full, full disclosure here, I was laid off from St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Uh, but, hey, you know, I can't get upset with a virus. The pandemic uh, uh, had, had negative consequences in a lot of people's lives. And, you I can know, relate to that. Yeah, I think a lot of people can. You know, ALSAC, the fundraising partner of St. Jude, they had to make budget cuts because their fundraising targets weren't met because of in-person events dropped off because of the pandemic. The next budget year, the hospital had to make some hard choices, and so they laid off myself and every other director in my group and collapsed work groups. It, 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 I don't take it personally. Uh, of course, I was kind of, it, it, I was shocked at first, but it forced an examination in me that has really produced good things. Uh, it's, it's, it's good to twist in the wind and, and freak out and be like, oh my God, what am I going to do with my life? And now that I'm on the other side of the, the panic of it all, now that I've tackled launching the firm, the boogeyman of like, oh my gosh, paperwork is really hard. It's like, you know, that boogeyman wasn't that scary after all. And now that I'm doing a mix of client work that I'm like, oh, man, I really love this. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm loving the variety of it all. So, like, I can put the same tools uh, at the disposal of a host of nonprofits and other cause-based work uh, that I use to serve St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and Church Health. And you could also be more creative with your time as far as, you know, how you spend it working on you know, projects for hire, working on your own stuff, working yeah. on the Coliseum. You can make up those hours instead of being beholden to someone else's. Boy, you just crystallized what a, a key learning. Like, I guess I kind of knew that that was possible in the abstract or from people who are have gone out on their own, like my friend Jeff Hewlett, have told me, you know, that you can kind of like modulate your day and mix and match. But man, now that I'm doing it, it's uh, it's 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 awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Freedom, 
freedom has its own value. Amen. Well, brother, is there anything else we need to get into? I mean, you're you're killing it. It seems like with this new PR thing, and <laughs> I, I know you've yeah. got like the free version of your book is available at championsofthelostcauses.org. Yeah, I've done I've done a free mini book called Dynamic Duo: Two Indispensable Leaders for for Championing Any Cause. It's a free ebook. You go to championsofthelostcauses.org, and a little dialogue box will pop up. And if you join my email list, you'll you'll get the free ebook. The larger Champions of the Lost Causes book uh, is is a is a 170,000 plus word uh, untamed bush of a book that that quite frankly I, I need to find a way to get uh, an editor to help me wrestle it to the ground. Uh, but uh, that's a work in progress. But the podcast is ongoing. Um, so uh, I'm continuing to do the podcast with my buddy Ryan Azada as my producer. Uh, and so and I'm, I have another podcast that I do with my friend Anthony Syracuse called Memphis Hardwood about the, the Grizzlies, uh, also on the Back to the Light Network. So I'm doing a host of things that I mean, honestly, I'm just I'm just extrapolating on the very point that you just met that I have all this freedom to kind of like custom design my, my schedule. Um, and it, 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 in the in the background uh, with, with all of that and Coliseum work ongoing, uh, uh, Pez has found its way back into the studio uh, and uh, is working on finalizing uh, a recording that we actually did in 2009. Uh, some friends of ours in a band called The Last Mile out of Montreal uh, reached out to us and uh, my good friend Chris Snellgrove he said Marv I know you guys have that ancient session on a hard drive <laughs> get that sucker in Pro Tools and like be on a split uh, vinyl LP with us so you know uh, Pez had grown somewhat inactive during the pandemic you know uh, we were getting together every once in a blue moon to kind of tinker around in Pro Tools but like alright now let's get focused. If we can't get if we can't get focused enough to put out a record when somebody's standing by saying we're we're ready to put it out on final, then we're idiots. So that was just the kind of motivation that we needed to kind of reconvene. We've played a couple of shows again. We played a benefit show for the National Independent Venue Association in May. It was a lot of fun. Uh, so just getting kind of minimally back out there as a live performing band has been fun. Uh, and then finishing those recordings and going. Oh gosh, these are these are incredible songs. What doofuses we are for letting them languish for so many years. But you know, you just you're blowing and going, and you're just like putting things aside. Oh, we'll get back to it later, you know. And then here we are, this many years later, and we're like, so the the, the songs were cut in 2009, and some of the vocals were literally cut this year. So, <laughs> would you say getting this record together has been something of an untamed bush? I, hey, you know what? I'm noting a theme here. I'm <laughs> noting a, yes, yes, yes. It was hard not for me for me no, not to no. laugh when you said that. No, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, no, no, it, it is I'll absolutely. I'll admit to being juvenile. It's it's another untamed bush in my ramshackle life, a hundred percent. But yeah, so that should come out next spring, I hope, uh, with uh, uh, the last mile, which is going to be on Rad Girlfriend Records. So I'm reacquainting myself with all the labels and hierarchy and which which labels, you know, or folks are play, paying attention to these days I kind of like tagged out of that world for the last little while but it's 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 fun and honestly playing you know uh, energetic punk rock is um, I don't know it, keep, it keeps me young and at, at age 53 to be able to be on a bill with teenage bands uh, and still hold your own and then and then they all s s buy your vinyl records 
uh, is a heartening thing in, in two ways. A, it's it's great to know that you know you still got it. You can hang you can hang with the young kids, um, but uh, to see teenagers buy vinyl records and be like, whoa, vinyl record, you know, it's like. I, I am very heartened, uh, especially to being friends with the folks at Memphis Record Pressing, to see them succeed as a business and just know that vinyl records are really coming back. Now, you could say there's been some version of that whole, like, vinyl records coming back story for, like, the last 15 years. But now it's, like, enormously blowing up. And that's I just love records. Well, speaking of records, Marv, a record we did together... In 2024, it's going to be the 25th anniversary of that record. That's crazy. We must have a Vulcan mind meld because I was listening to Pez's Warmth and Sincerity LP, our third LP, which you played bass on. And uh, <clears throat> on the ride in, and it's like, I'd kind of been like quiet all morning and kind of contemplative. And I just felt like, oh, hey, man, you're about to go do an interview. You're like, sing along to these songs, kind of like, you know, get the, get it, this bust out the jams, you know, kick in the door, right, energetically, and uh, and so I was singing along with that record at full volume, and um, and just thinking, I mean, I'm very, very, very proud of that record, uh, I mean, I'm proud of all of our records, but um, that, is a, that is a really incredible record, and it's tied to so many, it, I mean, just the memory of recording that with Steve Albini, and just the fun that we had up there, and the kind of hell that we put ourselves through. Like it, in, in in hindsight, we can look back at even like the sure taping the headphones to Ceylon's head for three days or whatever. <laughs> taping the, oh, that's a great story. So I should tell that. So um, Ceylon couldn't get the uh, the headphones to stay on his head, and uh, because he was he's a maniac, right? And he's like playing guitar like a maniac, and the headphones kept flying off his head. And he's like, he's got to fix that. So he asked Steve. Hey man, do you have a, a better set of headphones, or what would you suggest? And and Steve was just kind of like, oh man, I, as a I, joke. I think he uh, said, oh man, just duct tape it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should duct tape tape them to your head. Uh, and and then I saw the gear start turning in Ceylon's head, and and, and then and then Steve upped the ante and says, he goes, I bet you fifty bucks you won't tape those ta- those headphones to your head. And I just said, Steve. You just lost that fifty bucks, <laughs> and then at the end of the session, like it just made sense. It uh, ended up turning into the bet was I bet, and it was like maybe I bet you all dinner or something, or I forget what it was exactly. It did but turn it, into dinner. It turned into, um, you know, I bet you won't leave them taped to your head the entire rest of the session. Thank you. I mistold the story, and right. at which point, like after three days, Steve was like, dude. <laughs> Please, I release you from the bed. <laughs> Dinner's on me. Yeah. Please take those headphones off. The, the, the additionally funny thing is, like, it, it would be one thing to picture Ceylon in the studio with those headphones on. But no, he was wearing them around town. He was sleeping in them. Yeah. You know, and we slept on several friends' floors. Like, we should have done the smart thing and, and stayed at and Electric like, Audio. Why do you have those headphones on, man? Yeah, Ceylon is is his own person, and he doesn't he doesn't give a damn. Fifty bucks, now, just for a bet. Hey, to have the memory of Steve Albini buying us all Indian food at the at the rap session for our record, I'll, I'll take that. Thank you, Ceylon, for getting that done. Yeah, <laughs> the hard way. But for him, it actually did. It was no problem at all. Like he didn't he didn't flinch. He didn't bother Ceylon one iota. Anyway, but yeah, no. So to your point. I did think that very thought. I thought about the the 25th anniversary of Warmth and Sincerity coming out, 
And, you know, I thought similar things about the anniversary of One Last Look coming out, but truth be told, we don't have the master reels for that session. It's still out in L.A. somewhere with Mark Stern. Uh, but I'd like to ultimately get those back because if there's one album that I think could benefit from a remix and remaster, uh, it's it's One Last Look. Great record. But I, I wasn't thinking in terms of, you know, remixing or re-release or anything because that stuff's out there and it sounds great as is. But, you know, definitely some sort of cool show. It's also going to be the 25th anniversary of Burn Your Cardigan by the Subteens. So maybe there's some sort of, like, Pez plays Warmth and Sincerity, the Subteens play Burn Your Cardigan, big 25th anniversary blowout kind of a deal. That's, well, I mean, you're a master showman and, and, and conceiver of ideas, and that's the reason you and I and Hewlett, you know, doing Rock for Love so many years for Church, for church Health uh, made so much sense. As we, we had an annual giant, you know, music show that we got to plan and curate and have all these ancillary ideas. That's always been your strength. No, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's an incredible idea. I mean, <clears throat> you always think of the more complicated, I do. I think of the complex. So, yes, I'd actually like to dump that session into Pro Tools and take it back to the lab because there's, there's actually that missing song, you know, Crucifixion never came out literally has never come out i mean i have a burn cd with it on it but like uh and we did a previous version of, of crucifixion that came out on the abc's of punk comp uh put out no no, no i'm sorry it came out on uh, new red archives hardcore breakout usa volume three and it's good but it was from that that uh that earlier incarnation of the band with nick couples on drums great great lineup but like that song was not really fully cooked uh but when we took it in, when we laid it down with steve albini it was like really dynamite and it's like it's the it's the missing song from the warmth and sincerity session what i'd like to see happen is that we mix and remaster the session because quite frankly your bass playing is better and deserves to be heard better and it's kind of it's give it steve kind of gave it that it, i don't know whether he intended this but it came across with that kind of social distortion kind of like you can feel it eq wise but not really hear the note distinction as well as i'd like which is getting totally ticky but I'd love to take it back to the lab and shoot the bass through, a, a, you know, EQ it a little better, um, you know, and, 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 and remix and remaster that record. I think it's, it, it, it does sound great as is, but I think when I, when I listen to it matched up against other records, it's a little bit quiet and it's a little bit, little like it's behind a cheesecloth. I'd like to see it brightened a bit. Um, but however we would go uh, re-slice that and re-dice that, uh, I think the 25th, that's next year? That's 2024. 2024. Okay, so we got plenty of time to plan. Yeah, plenty. So I've even got time for my deluxe version. Although, I mean, you guys are still working on a record you started in 2009, so maybe we don't have plenty of time. <laughs> Busted. No, <laughs> no, but we need to, we need to, no, that's right. Yeah, no, you're totally right. But like, damn it. I, I, I think that if we, if we redouble our efforts... If we if we if we turn up the volume to eleven on that idea and we just like jump high and grimace musically like we should. No, we should we should go ahead and like we should plan for that. We should make that happen. Uh, I don't know. If, if you've got the files, then maybe we can figure out somebody to do that remix project because I have the reels. Whew. Sitting in my closet, my entryway closet at my house. That's a big one. That's, yeah. That's gonna be tough. We're gonna have to transfer the reels first. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Well, maybe we should have this conversation off the air. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. But the, but the idea is is really good, and I, and I love that record. And I and I and uh, yeah. At any rate, yeah, no, we should do that. 
Well, all right, man. I wish you best of luck with the Coliseum, of course. Thank you. And your new PR firm, which I know you don't want to call it that, but... Um, no, it's a PR firm. And so, the book and the podcast, everything. Happy to work with you yeah. and all that stuff. It's it's great, man. So championsofthelostcauses.org is the platform. If you're interested in the larger kind of uh, platform of ideas, championthecause.org is my... Is how they practice. hire you. Is how they hire me to help them champion their cause. That's right. And that's how I'll pay my bills and hopefully have a lot of fun and elevate a lot of great work. I'm into it. Awesome. Thanks, Marv. Thank you so much for having me, JD. That's the show. Thank you to Russ Thompson, Marvin Stockwell, Harry Knititziotis and Midtown Con, engineer Eric Wilson, and of course, you for listening. Our opening theme is Arthur with two H's, and our closing theme is Joey Pegram of Shabadoo. And for music, news, episode archives, and other fine podcasts, visit backtothelight.net. Until next time, take care, y'all. Part of the Back to the Light podcast network at backtothelight.net.